Hi, everybody. This is Nancy Novak, Chief of Innovation for Compass Data Centers. We are here to do the next episode of Extending the Ladder, and we're so fortunate to have Kabri Schmidt with Hensel Phelps Construction as our guest speaker. Kabri, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here this Friday morning. Kabri, tell us a little bit about you and your career and what you do for Hensel Phelps. Sure. So I'm a project superintendent with Hensel Phelps. That means I have the honor and privilege to be able to run large projects. My current project is $104 million here at the University of Washington. And over the course of my career, I've spent the most time in aviation and large campus higher education projects that are really focused on how to make sure we build relationships with our ownership teams and support our trade partners through a majority of design, build, and alternate delivery projects. It's been 16 years. I've spent my career spanning coast to coast, and I just love being able to problem solve face-to-face -face in the field, which is why I ended up in the role I am now. I'm so excited because I, I just love this industry so much, and I think it's so fantastic that we are starting to see women as in the superintendent roles, because as, as you stated, it's really where all the action is. And what I'm really interested in is, you know, just how the diversity of thought and diversity of your experience and your lenses has, and I wouldn't say changed or enhanced or you know, somehow made different the results that you're seeing from your management style. It's interesting. Uh, I spent seven years on an airport as my last project, and I, I ran a lot of night shift because the critical path work ran through major changes in the passenger pathways and working in and around them. When I would see the rest of my team in the morning and I would relate what had happened the night before, let's say my scaffolding crew, they had a sick crew member or they're really concerned about something with another crew. I was told once, Kaber, you shouldn't, you shouldn't listen to that drama. And it's made such an impact on me over like the last five years to consider that that isn't drama and I've never approached it as drama. I've been able to leverage and build those relationships to serve people who then want to serve the project team, who want to be able to share the information of where they're flexible and how I can help them achieve success. And I think that just comes through me seeing my role as a responsibility to use what I have to serve the people that are either in my contract or hold my contract. I'm here to deliver a product to them. I got goosebumps. When you just said, I just, I got goosebumps. And the reason is because I, I mean, for those who have worked in and around superintendents, this is a new way of leadership, right? And I'm not saying that all men that, you know, have these um, same skills, but, but it is not a typical set of skills that you would think about. Um, I just came back from um, an event in London where we were talking about um, how diversity drives profits. And it really is through that, that innovative way of thinking and having a different lens on what the strategy you know, can be. And I love that personal touch. So I, I just have to ask you, so on your trajectory in your career, like the insights on how to change this point of view, how to be that leader that, that others can see and then be, what are your insights on that, Kayri? The impact of how I talk to people and manage my work, and these are like technical responsibilities, not that I'm trying to do some additional effort on the side, like how I communicate my schedule, how I invite people into the conversation during pre-con meetings. You can see a tangible difference in how my people talk to each other on the project. I was out here till 9 p.m. with our drillers last night, 
And we're just like high-fiving that the tremie's not clogged, that we're getting this last bit of concrete in the hole. And as I'm sweeping up, you know, debris to make sure that we have a clear pathway in the morning, I get good nights from the entire crew. And it's just because I'm I'm out there serving people information that they need. And so when you structure your management style or your work style, you don't need to be a manager, where you're saying, I'm here to give you information. Here's the information. Let me go get the other information I'm hearing you need. Or tell me why you need that because I might have other information you care about. It changes people's perspective because you're tapping into what they believe to be like the core values of the industry. And I'm recognizing that pride of work that they have. Yeah. And that is, I mean, it's like, that is the, you know, example of leadership that you, like, what I like what you said there, Cambria, was that it's catchy, right? So that when people see the way you interact and react and the results you get from building those relationships, then they aspire to do that. And then they mimic that. And then you get kind of this really holistic team that's a high performing team. Yes. And What's interesting, and I, the reason I really like to talk about my role and my opportunities is field leadership has such an opportunity and really an obligation to be a bridge of information between ownership, design team, and the people putting the work in place. I have the opportunity to inspire people with what the final product is, to give them that bigger picture, and to use the resources that I have to make them successful. And if I'm not doing that, who is, especially in the design build world and integrated delivery. Like I hold the contract. I set the expectations. I invite people to speak and make sure they know they can speak at any time. And I see that as a really important responsibility to uphold. I love that. I wanted to pivot a little bit on the folks that you work with, because one of the things I love about the industry is that it's all, you know, it's all walks of life, right? It's, it's the skilled trades all the way up to the architects, engineers, the owners, and so forth. I know that you have a high regard of respect for the skilled trades, right? And we, in the industry, we struggle to get enough skilled trades. And there, there's an aging problem right now. Um, there's a, a lack of perception, there's a bad perception basically around that. And I speak sometimes about trying to become more diverse in that area since such a small percentage of skilled trades are female. I was wanting to get your perspective on that and how that relates back to this relationship building that you're talking about. Yeah, it's a great question because maybe I'll, I'll talk about it in terms of how one advances in their career. So it's, it's regional. In some regions of the country, superintendents are split between having schooling backgrounds and having backgrounds in the trades. Here where I am in Washington, it is predominantly superintendents come out of the skilled trades. What makes it tough is when there's not a lot of women or diverse people in the skilled trades to promote into leadership. And so you're perpetuating a problem there. We already have a problem in our industry. One of the key risk factors that psychologists identify for mental health risks of our industry is promotion without preparation. And so what that means is we've promoted field leadership based on their ability to produce. We put the most wall in place last year. If you're promoting people because they're producers and not because they've been trained to lead people, you're completely looking over the skill sets for leadership. You're also because you have historical biases where the men are promoting the white men that you don't have the opportunity to use people's familiarity to promote different people into leadership. And so it's going to take a real deliberate focus 
on training field leadership in a way that we, they haven't been trained before and the deliberate selection and promotion of diverse people into field leadership to create a new perception of the industry, the production we're always driving, the safety we're always looking for and the innovation because we need new thought processes and voices. Anyway, my dad taught me years and years ago that if you really want to know, um, you know how to build something, you ask the person who's going to put the work in place and they, they know best, right? So two thoughts on that. One, well, I, I appreciate you bringing up the mental health aspect because um, many people don't realize that the construction industry, we have three and a half times more, like, more likely um, you know, suicide rate because of mental health. And it's treacherous to have that be a statistic. I do have high hopes that if we can become more diverse, that we can start to solve for that because you know, a rising tide lifts all boats. And I feel like if you can solve for the reasons why we're not very diverse, then you know, everyone will benefit from that. So the second part was, you know, what, what do you think it's going to take to be able to attract more women into the industry and into the skilled trades? I mean, what are the, what are the big prohibitors from making that you know, a reality? I think knowledge of what it means to be in the skilled trades is one of the biggest challenges. I knew nothing about construction until I was in college working as a Starbucks barista who asked one of the contractor project managers during opening shift what they did and for an internship. And it wasn't until that internship that I saw what a general contractor does and saw how work goes in place that I was like, this is like an amazing world that I've never seen before. And it just wasn't on my family's radar as an option. It wasn't on my school's radar, none of the schools I went to. I went into engineering because I was like, cool, bridges, like many people do. And so visibility of other women doing the work, we're about to finish like Women in Construction Month, right? Like there's a big focus in March where that happens. And it's been growing every year, which is awesome. But what I like to see is when people are highlighting the women that are on their crews and the leaders that are supporting those women on their crews and the women who are the leaders on those crews. Because we're starting to do a great job at the salaried and the corporate level. Yeah. The challenge is translating that level of inclusion and belonging and support to the field still, because there's a lot of differences there. There's more turnover. There's unions where you're, you're sent to different jobs and you're not even able as an organization to control all aspects of how people are treated or the resources that they have. And so the challenge of seeing people in the roles and getting the information down into the skilled trades about the message of inclusion we're trying to change as an industry are two primary challenges. So I try to make myself seen in the industry. I am a role model. And as soon as I became a, a project superintendent, my vision and my understanding of what it was to be a woman in construction completely changed. We all started like, no, I don't want to be in a, a woman's group. I don't want to be in an ERG in my company. I want to be one of the guys. I want to prove myself. I don't want to be seen as different. I am now very much on the side of, no, we need to make sure that I need to make sure I'm doing my part to lead others into this incredible industry. And celebrate those differences because that's what makes a difference, right? I mean, that's fantastic. I'd like to pick your brain a little bit more on the skilled trades because I do feel like there's some opportunity there with modern methods of construction. And I'm hoping that this ends up helping the situation. And what I mean by that is 
when you look at the inconvenience of every time you start a job, the faster and better you work, the faster you run out of a job, right? I don't think a lot of people put it in that mindset where they don't understand every new job means the, the, the better I perform, the faster I have to go look for work again, right? As a tradesperson. And in addition, the hours, you know, like if you have a commute and many of the jobs that are built in um, urban areas are, have these commutes, um, the hours don't really allow for, you know, um, care providing for children and things like that, right? It's difficult. So there are some methods in our industry now that we're trying to move towards um, like offsite manufacturing and advanced work packaging and, and, and ways in which you can try to normalize that. And again, I, I want to go back to a rising tide lifts all boats before I get your insight on this, because I was thinking, you know, men want to be home in time to see their kids play ball and go to the school play and things like that. And our hours sometimes don't allow for that, right? It's early in the morning, it's late at night. We, you know, the kids are in bed before you even get there. And you know that because I know you have children, right? So it's yep. it's challenging. It's challenging for everyone. So I mean, I would love your thoughts on just kind of like you know, how these modern methods of construction could help the industry from a diversity standpoint and just from a getting better standpoint, honestly. Sure. I mean, you're spot on. Any gender is looking to help support their family or to figure out what life exists outside of work with traffic, with how cities are built, with, you know, project demands and, and different uh, requirements for their teams. How do they support their teams if people are on different schedules? My foreman of my drilling crew last night was like talking about his kindergarten son's, you know, paleontology project where they buried bones in the ground. And he was just talking so excitedly about participating in that and then said, but I never get to go on field trips and I would love to go on a field trip. And the concrete crew that's starting, we're going to be working through November on a concrete building. He's got a baby due in three weeks. Same week we're going to be putting up the crane. Like it is up to me to start a conversation that says like, can we figure out how to get your foreman ready to go for this to take over for a week? Like it's your, your first child, like Children don't always come the way that you think they're going to come into the world. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I want to be able to support you on this project if that means that me and my team step up into a new role. I had a, a meeting with eight women from another general contractor here in Seattle a few months ago. They were just, how do, how do I do what you're doing? How do you do it logistically? I can only show up at 5.30 in the morning because my wife brings our children to the bus. Um, she works full time. She works 60 hours a week. I work 60 to 80 hours a week. You know, we're, we're a busy family. Yeah. But the support systems wouldn't exist. I'm out here in Seattle. My family's all on the East Coast. We don't have anybody local. And so trying to find care like today, school's off. We didn't know that till yesterday. We, we, we did not have that on our radar. My seven year old informed us of that. One of us has a more flexible job. Yeah. And so the challenge logistically of putting women into field leadership is real. You need to be able to supplement a support system. How do you do that with technology? Well, I had an introduction during a pre-con meeting this week and I just had up on my screen all these tabs. This is our app for putting in um, all of our daily reports. This is our app for putting in our deliveries. This is our app for talking to our crane operator. And they're really slick apps. Like I'm excited to use them. People can use those from their home. Yeah. But, Right. Like, I don't need to write on the whiteboard. The delivery's coming. They can log into their phone when they get out of their cart. And they're like, oh, crap, I forgot I got that crane coming in and like put in their delivery. So technology is facilitating a different level of communication. Yeah. 
the last few years, obviously, our industry has made like leaps and bounds in terms of our ability to communicate. I don't remember having one single virtual meeting before 2020. Right. Right. And now, you know, virtual interviews are everywhere. The ability to exchange information via vodcast and podcast is great. And so information sharing is where we are able to find our flexibility and technology is facilitating that. That's helping a lot. That's absolutely helping a lot. I know that during COVID, we had to virtually commission a few projects where we had a very skeleton crew and and now they've got digital tools to do pull planning and things where you can, you know, you can include folks who are not able to be be present. So we we learned fast, you know, that there are many, many ways to be more flexible in the industry instead of, you know, the way we always saw it was if you're not on site, you can't do work, right? It's just it just isn't true. Kavy, what types of things or initiatives do you think owners could do to help with that diversity and inclusion in the construction industry? I think that the owners that I work for, I'm very lucky, right? I'm working for large public entities that have a vision and legislation legislation usually that allows them to require certain things, whether that's minority apprenticeship counts on a job site or it's small business participation. What needs to happen to support those efforts is ongoing conversations between the owner and the contractor to support the initiatives that the contractor is taking on. It's really hard to say, I need you to get 23% small and local businesses, but it's a competitive um, bid process that's just you know solely on price, right? Like, how do we work together to make sure that we have the systems, tools, and administration to be able to achieve this? How can I make sure to get apprentices of color onto my project when you as an owner have a very stringent background check process? Not everybody has a clean background. There's societal challenges that have made it really challenging for different populations. And so we need to find ways to change our systems to support our goals. We also need to look at new ways to enhance those systems. I work with uh, a great organization called Build Out California that is the first LGBT-owned, so LGBTQ-owned businesses. And they were able to change le legislation in California last year where the Utilities Commission now requires, I think it's one or two percent participation. And so keep pushing the boundaries, right? Keep sharing resources to support our industry. Yeah, no, that's fabulous. I wanted to get your opinion on some of the things I was thinking about um, to make the, the job sites more welcoming and also encourage good behavior when it comes to the ecosystem of sub trades and, and specialty trades and things like this. So, well, number one, so at Compass, what we try to do is we make, we absolutely insist that there's always separate facilities for men and women and that they are, um, they're well kept and, you know, and, and, and private. We also expect our general contractors to have protective gear that's designed for women. So the vest and gloves and things that actually fit them when they show up to the site. If we have visitors, you know, we want to make sure that the women feel they're welcome there. And then I, the idea, one of the ideas I've had, and this is what I really need your opinion on, is, you know, to be able to pitch, you know, kind of incentives to encourage, you know, the draw for, for more females, especially in the trades, right? To say, hey, if the industry standard is at 3%, um, I would like to see if you guys, you know, if there's some money in it or a bonus or some type of incentive that says, if you get it to 5%, there's something in it for you. Um, and then the last thing was technology, like using things like exoskeletons to 
kind of neutralize the root strength requirements that also help both men and women, right? So um, the, the wear and tear on our bodies, um, you know, being able to invest in things like that were encouraged the, the use of those types of technologies to then again, make, make the site more welcoming for women. All great ideas. I heard that you addressed, how do we do this through logistics? I heard, how do we do this through creating our crew structure? And how do we do this through the support of what the crews are actually doing um, with their bodies? Now, maybe in order, I like to talk to the women on my projects and ask them about what they would like for their restrooms. Sometimes it can be more frustrating to have to go to the restroom that has the lock on it and to make sure you have the code and to go into it. And so you said rising tides raise all boats. What if we just make sure that all restrooms are extremely well-kept and Mm -hmm. clean? Because I have mixed feelings about the separate restrooms, which is why I talk to my my crews, because I also want to make sure there's an acceptance of, you know, gender identity. What what barriers are we also putting up? And so that really takes a conversation. Um, And so I like to address that personally, though there is a very strong historic bias and problem with not having the right facilities or designated facilities. In terms of our crew makeups, to be able to incentivize getting new people out there, what came to mind when you said exoskeleton and, and support, it requires a culture on your crews where people are empowered and excited to support each other. I mentioned earlier that there were industry values. One of them is pride of work. Ask a drywaller what kind of screw he likes. Man, our conversation right there. You got a buddy for life. The second one, though, is like training and apprenticeship. How do we tap into what we all know to be true, which is you learned these skills somewhere and like hold it up as like the highest esteemed, I don't know, task to participate in. Like when I talk to a crew and I know there's an apprentice, I very deliberately points out like, gosh, imagine how you could teach that to this individual. Or like, I love that you just taught that. Like you have such great experience. Being able to show on my projects that one of my values, one of the things I expect is that there's a supportive relationship there and it excites me and it should excite you to do that. I don't want to see you like putting down your apprentice and like showing them how to do hard work. Like I'm going to be like, dude, not, not here. So how do we make sure that we're also building a culture where exoskeletons are great? Yes, we need to make sure we're treating our bodies well and that we're taking care of our people. But gosh, that woman or that man would be over there doing it alone in their exosuit. Like, how do we help people be like, I feel okay to go ask somebody to help me carry that piece of plywood because my five foot half inch arms can't like carry that piece of plywood. Right. Right? Like I need to be empowered and comfortable to do that. No, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, again, anytime anyone has an idea on how we can try to improve or, or have good behavior, that's really what I look at. And not just good behavior, but just different behavior. And you know, different systemic behavior, different, you know, understanding about, you know, um, how things always have been and how things maybe could be, right? And that's one of the things that I really want to finish up on, Kadri, and it's your strong sense of this relationship building um, within your, the community on the job. Because it is a unique leadership perspective in the construction industry. And I, I really want that to be kind of the takeaway on what people are understanding is important and what drives the change. Because I, I truly believe that, you know, one of my superpowers is always, you know, writing contract language that allowed people to behave the right way. But like being in person and leading my example 
has got to be um, you know, one of the ways that having your high-performing teams really, really excels on a job um, for success. And not just the field, not just the staff, and the owners, the whole ecosystem, supply chain, the whole thing. So I would just like for you to kind of close this off with this takeaway on these lenses of this relationship building and what that does. In any position that we are in, we have resources at our fingertips, whether it's a green check mark on a submittal that has to go back to a trade partner or a note we need to write in an RFI to our design team, how we word things, how we pick up the phone and have a conversation to get clarity first to not jump to conclusions, how we call and say, hey, I know we talked about this in your contract, but this situation has changed. Can we talk through this? We have resources and responsibilities and we can use every single one of them to engage people in a way that makes them feel like they can talk openly and get support because we all have the same goal. And some projects really click and realize that like, we're all working together to get this building built and it's awesome and we're high-fiving. Um, not many projects. But if everybody were looking at the resources they have as how can I use this to serve another person? And of course, I have privilege in my position. I am the head of all field operations on my project. But if I'm not doing it, no one else is going to be doing it. And so I expect it of my staff at all levels. I expect it of the foreman and the superintendents out in the field on all my crews and from the start, I make those expectations clear. You are here to contribute to the team. I'm excited that you're here. I'm here to do whatever I can for you. We have to keep talking about this so that we make sure we're always on the same page. And when they hear me talk about other trades and how, listen, that's, that's great. Let's make sure your crane goes over here because the drywaller has a delivery coming in and they really need that because they're behind up because they lost two people last week. They understand I'm here to support them all. And that when I talk about them when they're not there, it's representing their needs. And anybody can do that. That's true. That's awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katie. This has been such a fun conversation. Um, I look forward to seeing you in one of the future conferences that's coming up. And just keep doing the great work you're doing. Thank you so much. All right.